This is a Better Reading podcast. Check out our other shows on all major platforms. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to our monthly book chat. I'm Cheryl Arkell. And I'm Caroline Overington. And I love nothing more than having a chat about books. And so does Cheryl. So we thought we would share that conversation with you. Once a month, we'll discuss book and industry news, authors, and the books you should be reading, and maybe just a little bit of gossip. Caroline Overington, what's happening in the world this week? In the world of books, well, imagine this, Cheryl. Imagine that you are a married mum of two beautiful boys. You love your husband. You think you've got a really great marriage. You sit down at your computer one day to send a few emails and you discover that your husband hasn't logged out of his mail account and he is having an affair. Mm -hmm. And you are absolutely devastated and it gets worse because she is one of your close friends. You have sons in the same class at school. You have been on holidays together where you have sat with her and laughed in that carefree way about your husband's all the while she was leaving lipstick on her husband's column. Mm -hmm. It is a devastating story and it's a true story. It's called Infidelity and Other Affairs and the reason it's causing such a storm in the book world is because it's not fiction. The author is Kate Legg, who is a novelist and a a very well-known writer, used to work for the Weekend Australian magazine, so alongside me and others of my colleagues. And her husband is Greg Highwood, who was for a long time the publisher of the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age and is now the chairman of Free TV. So this is an extraordinary development. You know, we sometimes hear from the mistress. You know, we heard from Blanche Alpaget, We sometimes hear from the cuckolded wife, like we heard from Nora Ephron, I guess, and Sylvia Plath, I suppose, but it's rare in Australia to hear from the wife. And this book, Infidelity and Other Affairs, the reason why everyone is agog as well is because Greg Highwood has read the book. And, in fact, Kate thanks him in the Mm. acknowledgements for his forbearance. Mm. And he says, well, well, she says, I've always been a writer and I could have done it as fiction. But I wanted to tell the real story of infidelity. I wanted to tell what it's like to be walking down your hallway on on bleeding stumps where your legs used to be. You know, I punched myself in the face. I hurt myself. I was so shocked. I wanted to tell that story and not hide it. So I've been interviewing Kate and I've been reading the book. Trent Dalton gives the acknowledgement on the cover and he says, all of life is here and all of love. 
Mm. Well, I spoke to her the other day too. I spoke to her for a podcast and I found the subject very difficult. It's hard. It's a really, infidelity is a a huge issue and something that, you know, many of us have been through. Um, And it brought up in me the deception and lies. And with Kate, she was not getting it just from him. She was getting it also from the woman he was having the affair with. And that betrayal that is terrible. That double betrayal. Yeah. Because you know what, it, 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 if I had a partner and he was cheating on me, I, I would come to you and I because we're yeah. such close friends. Of and course. I, I would feel like I could tell you anything and I could trust you and, and, and that you might be able to help me understand it, process it. If I was then to turn around and find out that it was you, mm. I mean, how devastating would that be? How well, because... Absolutely, because also you turn to your friends for support in those moments, and that happened. Oh, I think it's and very, that feeling very that you you don't know who to trust, like you're judging yeah. each other. And then, of course, when she she wants to save the marriage, and she says to him, "So I need to know everything." And it turns out that he's been cheating really since the wedding. It's not just she said to me, "It's not just one body; it's a graveyard." And I thought, "Oh my goodness, how mm-hmm. completely." discombobulating it must have taken so much courage to get back on her feet and and learn to to trust it well and particularly if that wasn't the agreement for them it wasn't the agreement a lot of people have open marriages a lot of people have open relationships but that she it was one-sided she didn't know well a lot of people have an idea, like Hillary Clinton, for example, where they kind of tolerate yes, it. That's right. Where they sort of know that it's going the value. They don't really want to know. Yeah. yeah. And and for them, sexual fidelity is not the be all and end all of marriage. Yeah. There are other things like companionship and parenting and shared resources and love of the children and caring for each other's yeah. parents and friends and so on that matter more. And also, there's an acknowledgement that people can get bored with the same sexual partner. But you're right. That was not the agreement here. No, no. Okay, now listen, I want to talk about uh, I hear somebody has an audio book out. Would that be? Oh, uh... my goodness, could you believe this? I could not believe this. So this is what happened, right? I was, it was during COVID, my yeah. daughter, I get this anguished phone call from my daughter who was maybe 20 years old at the time, living in a share house in Newtown in, in New South Wales, She'd been working like in a cafe and going to university. She'd lost her job. She couldn't pay the rent. She had to come home. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'll have to put a room in the attic because I didn't have enough space. She'd moved out. She was on her way. She was enjoying her life, you know, living free, having all You thought that was going to be your new office. Yeah, and I thought she was going to go and have, like, experiences in, you know, go to bars and go to clubs or whatever, and suddenly COVID shut the world down and she needed somewhere to go. So I thought to myself, what am I going to do? Maybe I could write another audio book. So I spoke to the people at Audible and they said, yeah, we'd love to have one. So I wrote another audio book and it's just come out. Mm-hmm. And someone said to me, hey, what's going on with your audio book? I said, what do you mean? They said, have you looked online? I said, no. I went online and it was number one. It had shot to number one in the okay. Audible charts. So it's and called. you know what was number two? Harry. Oh, you're joking. <laughs> Harry, who we talked two. about last week. Oh, wow. Right, number go. two was Spare. And so one of my friends texted me, you've knocked off the king and claimed the crown. <laughs> so okay. I, I made a little screenshot of it where it says, Caroline Overington looking for Eden number one, and then straight under that, the ranger. <laughs> so, <laughs> I made a little screenshot for Instagram because I couldn't quite believe it. I mean, how oh, lovely a read! Oh, they're just—it's wonderful. Best. Um, so, what's it called, and how do people it's find called, it? 
It's called Looking for Eden and it's about, so the idea was, so it's only available as an Audible book because I've been working with Audible and Amazon, um, big international publishers, uh, because they want to get a presence in Australia. They've got a lot of content, but they haven't got a lot of Australian content. So they're working with local writers to write books specifically for Audible. And I have found it so rewarding. I find the people who do the narration for me incredibly warm and friendly and kind. The local representatives of the company have been great. And I found that I've picked up readers, well, they're listeners, aren't they, all over the world who go to the Audible site, download the book, and then they leave all this good feedback not always great feedback sometimes you get a one-star review that's okay sometimes you get a five-star review but it's been a very different process writing an audible book and I think it's massive I think people listen to them on their treadmill they listen to oh them I'm addicted train. I'm addicted like addicted? if I've got I've got a pile of washing up to do I'll find something put it on and then I don't even feel that I'm washing up. If I'm going for a long walk if I'm going you know if somebody says to me oh you know call me in an hour I'll try and get one in before that hour's up. You know, exactly. like, okay, so interesting. Yeah. And not just podcasts, audio books. Audio books, a lot of nonfiction. I'm going to listen to yours though. Yeah. Interesting. I, well, I, I have enjoyed the ones that I've listened to where the narrator has been the famous person as well. So, I, like yes. Barack Obama, Michelle, Michelle Obama. Obama. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <gasps> Matthew McConaughey. Oh, yeah. That's quite something to listen to. Did you know to? I recorded a podcast with him? Oh, yes, he I was so him. wonderful. Such a great, he's a really inspirational person in a very low-key way, actually. And a beautiful voice. Oh, gorgeous. And he lived in, he came to, you know, <laughs> and spunky as. But also, I mean, he spent quite a lot of time in Australia. Did well, you just say spunky? Did you yeah. say spunky? Does that show my age? Speaking of spunky, let's talk about the billion dollar romance industry. That beautiful Mercedes Maguire. Did you see that article that she wrote about romance? Yeah. And I think she hit the nail on the head. It was beautiful to see you quoted in that article, too. Yeah. And amazing news as well for Rachel Johns, who writes in that space, doesn't she? She Well, she she was quoted in the article as well. Yeah. So the idea that Australian women in particular, I think it's 90% women, the readership of romance, maybe even higher than that, like the idea of falling in love, like the idea of a white knight, like the idea of a handsome man with rippling biceps. But also like the idea, Carolyn, of just a good ending, just, you know, just a a lovely ending, happy, happy. Happy, uplifting, they get together in the end, they overcome some obstacles. Feel good. I mean, that's kind of what life is about really, isn't it? Yeah, I'm telling you, I'm so guilty of that. Yeah. I want to talk about um, <laughs> talk about that article because I interviewed Mercedes the other day for a podcast and we, we were talking also too because, you know, there's a lot of poo-pooing, if you like, about the romance industry. There's a lot of, you know, there are so many literary snobs and you and I know them where, you know, it's an embarrassment to read. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
romance or even towards, you know, better reading. You know, so many people have said to me, oh, well, the problem with better reading is it's too popular, you know, and you and I know. That. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness, people like it. That's oh, no. right. And I want to get back to the romance uh, conversation, though, in terms of genre. You know, it really is a genre that people, you know, they're probably reading it, but they like to talk ill of it. And as I said earlier, you know, we have often been accused of being too popular, and I think that that's referring to the romance genre or the commercial women's fiction genre. I really believe that people that read romance read all genres. You know, that they're not just one Oh, genre. they're readers. They're, yeah, readers. Yeah, they're readers. So yeah. the other night when we were, the other day when we were doing What Are You Reading on Better Reading, I thought I'm going to put it out there. And I asked people if they read cross genres or they only stick to one genre. And it was a tremendous response. The only thing that stood out was maybe they don't read fantasy or sci-fi. Okay. But okay. romance, yeah. literature, crime, a you lot name of, it. A lot of sci-fi is romance now too, isn't it? Well, it is. Yeah, so dystopian. And then dystopian or, or there were werewolves and vampires and yeah. if you're classifying that as kind of mystical writing as well and then that crosses into romance where they fall in love with another species or another creature. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dog, yeah, I thought the Mercedes did a good job with that. Um, so Rachel Johns, I just want to touch on that because that is huge news. So Rachel Johns started off as a rural romance writer. She's wonderful. She lives over in Perth. Ruro, so, they call that. Ruro. And as you know, she's over in um, Western Australia uh, and she is such an advocate, not just for her own work but for all writers. She's just passionate and she's got great friendship and she supports so many other writers, even in her space. She's been with Harlequin her whole career, and now she has sold a two-book deal to Penguin Random House. Wow. And it must be big dollars. I actually know Rachel pretty well. We went on tour once together in WA, and I think she is one of the kindest, warmest, funniest, nicest, most brilliant people in the Australian book industry does not get the credit she deserves because she sells like crazy. People love her books. But also, as you say, she's just a really warm and generous person. You know, she's really nice to be around. She's a real mm. credit to the industry. So there must have been huge dollars involved. But I think I'm ecstatic for her. It must be hard to let go of a publisher that you've been with and people have and she's loved. in your career. Yeah. And she's loved. And but they've grown her. This is a good step for her too. Yeah. I think yeah. Uh, Penguin Random House is obviously the massive publisher and it could launch her all around the world. Yeah, it could take her, yeah, it could take her somewhere else. And also I think she's very considered. She would have thought about this for a long time. I mean, she's really developed her career to this stage. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm really happy for her. If she's happy, I'm happy for her. It's great. I haven't yeah, spoken to I her love, yet. Yeah, I do. I love yeah. her. I do. Yeah. I really love her. I love it too. Okay, so there's lots of um, books out this week. Do you want to talk about any that that are tickled your fancy or what's tickled what you... your fancy? You know what? Well, it's not out yet, but um, I have got a copy of Anna Funder's new one, Wifedom. It's wonderful. It's now that's another person wonderful. that I I absolutely adore her. She's she is she? so lovely and generous. I interviewed her for. Um, 
I did a little series during COVID just about isolation and writers, and I interviewed her, and sure enough, I hadn't pressed record after 30 minutes, <laughs> and which you know I'm capable of doing. And do you know, she was so cool about it, whereas I did do it, and I'm not going to say his name, with a male author, and I was only five minutes into before I noticed with the male author, and he was about to walk off. Isn't Five that minutes. Interesting? Yeah. She, Whereas yeah, Anna she, Funder, she was like, okay, okay, let's regroup, let's do this again. And she was wonderful. And she wrote me the most beautiful note afterwards to say that this is what we're grappling with in the new way that we work and mistakes yeah. happen. Yeah. Yeah. And she and I wondered about this book because I know it's been six years in the making and it's been her passion and I really wanted to love it. So when I opened it, I felt quite nervous. I thought, am I going to really like this? And within about 20 seconds, I was completely swept away. She's mm. such a beautiful writer. I think it's not out until July, though, so perhaps right. we shouldn't okay. talk about it too early. Still got a little bit of time. Well, um, I want to talk about the fact that Salman Rushdie's got a new book out, Victory City. Yeah. I haven't read it yet. But do you know I feel such a personal connection to that story because when I heard about his attack recently, I just burst into tears. I've never, um, I think I might have met him once, but it was a long time ago. But do you know I was in London when the fatwa was put on him and yeah. I was working in a very big bookstore called Dylan's. And do you know, and I've got goosebumps telling you this, Carolyn, every morning Morning, we were all worried for our safety and we would have to bomb check that building before we open the front doors. And it really is something that I've, it has never left me. Mm. And I think one of the tragedies of it too, Cheryl, is that he had started to believe that he was safe. Mm. It was mm. So many years had gone by and the Ayatollah is dead. And although the regime had said that the fatwa was still in place, he had started to live more openly. He'd started to enjoy his life a little more. His friends had felt more confident in his company. And then, of course, uh, he went along to a small literary festival in upstate New York and the uh, the would-be assassin boarded a bus, bought a ticket, tackled him on the stage. I read the piece. Um, he's done quite – he's done an interview with The New Yorker. I read um, it too. Yeah, ahead of, ahead of the book coming out, his new book coming out, and they said that – uh, it was David Remnick that wrote it for the New Yorker. Yeah, David Remnick. And he said that he just sat down and he was sitting with somebody else on the stage and then the assailant rushed up and began stabbing at him. There were five doctors, this being New York, <laughs> there were five doctors mm. in the audience. So he, he got help very, very quickly. Um, he remembers the paramedic or a fireman actually saying to him, don't blink your eye because there was a lot of blood in his eye. And it's apparent from the photograph that he has he has become blind in one eye. Yeah. I don't know whether he's lost the eye, but he has he is blind in that eye. Um, I was interested by the way he came, he popped back on Twitter with a quote from Popeye, Popeye. Uh, <laughs> not Popeye. Yeah, he's always had a wonderful sense of humour and I'm so glad that whatever the would-be assailant has taken from him, he has not extracted his sense of humour. Well, and also that he's out and about now um, promoting Victory City and I've got to tell you, if that was me, I think I'd be locked in my doors, uh, locked in my apartment for the rest of my life. I'd be so petrified. Um, So good for him. So another book that's coming out is is Cold People by Tom Rob Smith. Do you know him? I do not. Did you read his first one? 
Yeah, Child 44. Oh, yes, okay. and that came out to great acclaim. And then yeah. he wrote another book called The Farm. And this people are talking about and saying it's going to be, I haven't read it yet. I need to read it soon because I'm recording a podcast with him. But also he came to my house. This was pre-podcast days where I was shooting interviews on video. Right? Right. And he came and sat on the lounge and I interviewed him and he was absolutely gorgeous. His partner is a, a TV producer for BBC. He's made huge television shows. And we had such a lovely time that as he was leaving, he said to me, if you were to invite us for dinner, we'd come. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> now, you know I like to cook a meal, Carolyn. <laughs> and sure enough... The next day I they were there. He might, have, he might have known something about your reputation of being a wonderful cook as well. Oh, we had you're such a good time. You're one of the only people I know who would dare to cook for Nigella Lawson when yeah. she came to Australia with her cookbook. Turns <laughs> up at your house. I mean, I can't imagine anything. I would be on my knees. I would be panicking. Oh, you're a good it. cook yourself. You anyway, so anything else you want to highlight before we wrap up? Well, I think that's about it. Is that about it for now? Okay. We've done pretty well, haven't we? We have done really well. Can you remember to put the books in your show notes? Because last week, we we were only just started. We're just practising. We don't know what we're doing yet. But we didn't put the books in the show notes, but tonight, today we will. Yeah, I know. And I don't know if we introduced ourselves, so we can just do it at the end. Caroline Overington, Cheryl Arkell, we will put the books in the notes and uh, we'll speak to you next time. We definitely will. And, And thank you to everyone who downloaded... Uh, looking for Eden on Audible, I was I was actually shocked, and I still cannot believe that it went to number one. But I am incredibly grateful, and I should I want to say that I just I feel incredibly um, honoured. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Eating Network.